0: Good morning, everyone. This is Robbie again. And, um, you know, this is the Sargassum Podcast. and This isn't really anything about writing science books in indigenous languages today. It's about something else. And I want you to excuse me if you hear me sneeze or something. Having have a little bit of pollen issues here. My allergies is acting up. But what I don't have here is a bunch of ash and pumice raining down on my head like they have in Barbados, St. Lucia, and the next place, too. And, and we're going to be talking with some people that are doing things over there to help people um, with the volcanic explosion there and St. Vincent and, and, and people just people that are in it and live in it. We're, we're just trying to share their stories right now. Um, want to give a big up to some ballet that came over from Union I heard about. You know, usually good, bad news travels fast, 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 and good news travels like a snail. This is some good news I got to share with you. Some guys from Union named uh, J.J., Roshan, uh Roy, and Sebastian. They came from Union in their boat bought 300 pounds of fish to feed people that are having problems. They're having trouble. Can't get food. That's one world, people. One world, one people. One love. And Bali know that. And we need to reach out and do some, something to help too. If fishermen can do that, we can do something, and I hope you will. That brings us up to our, our, our interview today. It's not an interview, but for a storytelling episode. Doctor Ash, he's been on, um, he's been on uh, Saint Vincent, and over there, and is on the next island now, running around all over the place, trying to get people water to drink, some food, and some other things. They need your help. And we're going to talk to him today. Hear what he's got to say. We'll hear the story about the island. And you know the thing about this guy, he don't talk about, it's, it's not so much about him and what he's doing. He's talking about what's happening and the problems there and, and all this kind of stuff. And he's thinking about a lot. And, you know, he, he, I think he has an idea of what he hopes to do next, but he don't, maybe he doesn't know what to do next. But how can you know? Anyway, um, sit back, enjoy yourselves for another Solemn episode of the uh, Volcano Podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, We're here today not for a sargassum podcast or a manatee podcast or seagrass or anything like that. We're here to talk about the uh, volcanic eruption on St. Vincent. And we have, uh, you know, got Francisca, who you all know, and Derval, who maybe you don't know. Um, She's another podcaster and she's working with us today. We want to try and get all this out to as many people as we can because we want to Share the stories of people that are, um, you know, being affected by this. And a lot of people who's being affected aren't on Saint Vincent; they're on the Grenadines, they're on Barbados. And if the wind shifts, it's going to be a different island that's being affected. We want to hear your story. And uh, today we have Dr. Ash, who's uh, been a part of this. He's over on the Grenadines, and he's uh, been trying to do some humanitarian work, trying to you know love his neighbor, just like we all should be loving our neighbor and trying to take care of people and all the, during their time of need and that's kind of what he's doing and we're gonna we gonna talk to him right now we're gonna listen to his story so sit back and uh enjoy yourself and and let's learn what's happening in the grenadines hello dr Ash.
1: good evening <clears throat> let me say good evening to all it's really good to be here actually at this time just took a break out to coordination to just share some of our story with the rest of the world, really happy to be among my colleagues, the Island Innovation Ambassadors and so on. And actually, as I look outside, it's a, it's a very, um, looking like an overcast evening, which is a good sign for us, actually, um, having been through a week, you know, very dry, you know, very challenging with the, the volcanic ash, ash polluting the entire atmosphere. Um, you know, we, this is like our break we are getting for the week. One of the better days we've had this entire week since the eruption of the volcano. Now, just for a little background, this was being the the yesterday actually. The the uh, volcano was in its 47, 42nd anniversary. So the last the last one we had was 42 years ago, up to yesterday, and coincidentally, it, it erupted this time just a few days before. And yesterday, in particular, you know, the it, it was really—I mean, you would have thrown that yesterday was kind of like a a birthday celebration, one massive explosion, and I you know it was. Although, it, as someone said, it looks beautiful to see, but it is very devastating to experience. And, and I would tell you that, and I mean, as you alluded to, sir, more of the times I'm I'm known as one of the strong ones, you know. I'm I'm a this community disaster manager, responder, first responder, and so on. So I've been involved in a number of different disaster responses and planning and so on. But this one, I must say that this one literally shook me. I remember on Saturday morning, it erupted the Friday evening. And this by when we were looking at it, at the um where both the video and the when the, the, the ash bloom started to spread towards the east. And you could have seen parts of that where we are in, in, in the Grenadine Island of Beckwith. I actually did a video on it and I was saying, you know, this was, um it looks like clouds just passing across the sky. And we recognized the difference instantly because the ash clouds were lower than, than the usual clouds. And you could have actually seen the difference in the sky where you see two layers of clouds upon the, each other. And to me, it was very interesting. But what I woke to on Saturday morning was a whole, I mean, completely different. Actually, um, one of the first things I recognized on Saturday morning is that, I, you know, the atmosphere the, the was toxic. So we had to immediately not just wear our masks, but we had to actually wet them up. So he was no longer wearing the dry mask that people were doing during COVID, but we had to actually be wetting these masks in order to breathe. All of the houses down, completely locked in, and I mean, no air coming in. You, you can't use your air condition. You can't use your fan. You just have to shut in that room for, we, we, we went about uh, 22 hours like that. You would occasionally come and open the door Yeah, open the door and take one breath, take the mask off, one breath back on and back inside again, because you couldn't allow the the toxins to come in your home. And for me, that was the breaker. I I couldn't believe that, um, you know, we would usually have flooding, we would have earthquake, we would have um, even hurricanes and so on, snow even tornadoes but I've never been in my life in a disaster where you yourself cannot even breathe properly. I mean it, it, it was you know what we had to do actually was to create air you walk around the house. So as we move around the house you know it, it would create its own air. that is what was actually helping us. And we use a technique where we um, we would fill buckets of water and we would place them in the center of the large areas of the house. And that would actually, that's a process we use to collect the, take some of the toxins out of the air. The other thing that that, uh, was was interesting for us was that here in Bequia is, we have five islands in St. Vincent and the the Grenadines that does not have a running water system that you would have in most countries, meaning tap water coming to you from the central system. So in the Grenadines, we rely on rainwater harvesting Falls into tanks. The gutter rains and then into the tank. So when the ash started to flow, we had to disconnect every single tank. And you're talking about nearly ten 000 to fifteen thousand people, in five different locations of, and every single tank had to be disconnected. And and we had to we had to ensure that that ash does not go into our water tanks. So, right away, we knew that we had created an extra serious water problem. And um, the dust was already out there. We had to tussle through that to get that fixed. And then you, could, you couldn't do any cleaning on that day at all. It was just too much. And then now you were also seeing the impact now on the mainland. And, and what was happening then was that more we trying to get out of the way at first, right? So the concern was, we are hoping that we evacuated and all are safe. And and you can see, like, all the day they used several methods to evacuate people by land, by boat. At some points, the the bigger vessels, the ferries and so on, could not even get into the land. So the the, the fishermen, the fisher folk, used the smaller, um, what we call our water taxis and speed boats. To go in and rescue people. You know, it was an amazing sight to see that at a time like that, you know, that they, they went all out to save these people from in that zone. And in a the disaster, there are some people that are extremely sentimental. You know, they don't want to separate from their the, the properties. And, and, you know, I grew up here from all my life. I don't want to leave this behind. And there were a few people who were. Who, who, You know, they were putting up a little resistance to leave, but I'm I'm told that the the eruptions were so violent that it actually scared them. And then they were crying out to be rescued, to be moved from there, you know? So it was was that, um, it was that violent because persons who experienced the one in 1979 felt like, okay, since I've gone through a volcano before, it would not be, and it would die. But this one, and it was not just one blowing of the doom, it continued. Up to this morning, we had another massive explosion again. Um, the, the two former domes that were created, they are completely gone. Created its own new exit point. Um, we, we, had, we started to have a lava flow. And, and funny, you know, they were saying to us early in the week that no, 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 usually the, the volcanoes in the Caribbean wouldn't usually have any lava flow and that kind of stuff. But all of these different things that they were saying, in one, in the last couple, of days, turned upside down, you know. So it has been a very eye-opening. And yes, I would say, even for a man, you know, even for a man, it was scary, you know, very. Um, and then you see pictures of what the, the people who were closest to it have been experienced and it is very heart-wrenching to be quite honest. Yes.
2: Um, you've really given us an extensive um, picture of what the situation is like currently. Um, but if we take a step back, what was the atmosphere like prior to the eruption, the first eruption on Friday?
1: Right. So. St. Vincent and the Grenadines was going through, first of all, we had a sudden dengue outbreak that was taking lives. Now, this is something that was never happening in St. Vincent so easy. So you had like 10 or more people died from the dengue fever, one behind the other. At the same time, COVID, the COVID pandemic decided it's going to sneak its way through all of that. And then while we were trying to bring the COVID pandemic under control the volcano started to show signs, you know, of extra activity. So they brought in this, the, the, um, the the seismologists, right, and they brought in new equipment. And they they were issuing these bulletins from the, the National Emergency Agency, you know, saying that, yes, we are aware that these things have happened. So they put the country, they put the, the, the zones now on orange alert, they put the country on orange alert, which was basically one step closer to the actual eruption. And um, based on the information we had received from the professor, he did say that based on the, the what they, the data they have been getting, it would, ap- it would appear that it would erupt anywhere from the very day right up to probably a year or two after. But they could never give an accurate timing for it. So... People in the the red zone and the yellow orange zone and so on, they were already uneasy. Because it was, you know, in communities, they are close to the the, the, volcano. So they felt all the the different vibrations. the other thing that was happening is that the Caribbean in itself was experiencing some very strange happenings in the oceans, where a number of sharks coming towards the Caribbean islands. And it was very worrying for the people. And research showed that um, sharks was attracted to this magnetic behavior of the, the, the volcanoes. So we had sharks coming in very close, even in St. Vincent. So you you had a very nerve-wracking period before the actual um, volcano. But you had on one hand, some people were, so, were scared already. They wanted to leave the area. So there was a lot of alarms being sent out by people. Then you had the response agency saying, no, we have not issued an evacuation order, so don't go anywhere, but just prepare it just in case we have to. And that went right on until the very day of the eruption. So you would imagine that it was around midday, yeah, that order was given, right? And persons were already experiencing like, they were having a series of earthquakes during the week from the Monday right down to the Friday. Um, and there were many, like 10, 15 and one day and that sort of stuff. So persons were already scared and nervous and, like, you know, having anxiety. And then suddenly an order was issued after, actually, a press conference that said, saying, yeah, we're experiencing the extra tremors, but we are not yet ready to tell you to move. And within an hour or two after they came back and said, "Okay, now it's time to move. So I think the whole island just went into a frenzy, to be quite honest. It it was quite a frenzy. Um, And as a result of that, persons obviously fled their homes without even being fully prepared, right? And um, then there was the bottleneck they had with the, the road network. The road itself being a small road so you can have much traffic moving at one time. And in the area, is one of the, the most mountainous parts of the island and, and very deep ravines, you know, heading into the sea. So you could understand the type of atmosphere you, you have to be dealing with to get it, to do this evacuation. It wasn't phased, so it was just everybody moved one time. So, you, you know, you have shutting people who are ill, children, pregnant, messed up, all these things, just one chaotic bubble. And um, but the people were, the majority, as I'm told, the majority fled. Um, and, and I must say that the, the, one of the things that was really great to know was that immediately the crew, there were four, four cruise lines who immediately headed for the island. They, they did not even hesitate. And that was really, really, really a good highlight for me. That that gave me some hope that, you know, it didn't take two days, three days. I, I understood that one ship actually turned around and came back for Saint Vincent when the when the news started to spread around the world, you know. And yeah. um,
0: so, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Situation
1: was taking place, and you can see from
0: yeah. yeah. Let Let me ask you a question. You know, you, you Go a while ago you were talking about. Uh, the fishermen and everybody evacuating and all, um, you know, there's a lot of particulate matter floating in the air and falling down. Um, is that, and I've seen the videos that you shared with us of you driving in your vehicle on these roads covered in ash. Um, are are you, Is, it, is anyone taking any extra steps to, to keep uh, any of this uh, particulate matter out of their uh, vehicles, I mean, the air intake and putting something over the uh, over the uh, air intake, the air filter to you know, to, to give it some extra help or, or are you aware of anything like that?
1: I am not personally aware but I, I can tell you from my knowledge I just think that because we did not have any time in between to act so I believe that most people probably would have not Taking those kind of steps. Because yeah. e- even um, protecting the vehicles by covering down with a tarpaulin or something like that, that wasn't, it didn't even have to. Because once that order was given, I think by, by five, six o'clock, that vault had already erupted. Within a matter of four to six hours, had it ready, actually erupted. So it was not like we had 24 hours to. Before the eruption took place. Our mind now, we have a situation where we have 17,000 people displaced and we just want to get some basic items to them so that it wouldn't be too much on them. So we didn't even think about the Honestly speaking, we didn't think about vehicles. I think it was only um Sunday, Sunday evening when people, or Monday, when people actually started to even take dust off of vehicles and so on right yeah. for those from friday to around sunday i don't think much people We must be quite honest and honestly yeah. and even during the week i can tell you even we here we, we are we have not even looked
0: at that we I, i'd start spreading the word around to watch that air filter because your air you know get a hole in you get yeah. that stuff in your in the engine oh there's gonna be problems it's gonna ruin it and all and then you won't be able to take things to people to help them and all so um, be, be That's what something you have to be hyper-aware of in a situation like this, is your air filter. And all. and it's, it's something a lot of people don't think about, but please do. I actually have just taken a note of
2: that. How many people are still on St. Vincent? Are there still people on St. Vincent, or has the entire island been evacuated?
1: No, the, the, we have people, I mean, I would say this to you, um, on the mainland, they only evacuated basically the red zone area and the orange zone. So they moved them from the red zone down to the green zone into the shelters in the green. Um, I would say, honestly, almost 90% of the population is still there, right? Um, even in the shelters, very few people compared to the, the displaced numbers, only the, the numbers were very, actually in the shelters itself. So what people did, they went to friends' houses, they went to friends and anybody who had an empty house that could be used. People just gathered together. I, I know that one family had offered able to stay and it ended up now at like 24 people in one house. So that was these people were just finding some way to get away from the red zone and the orange zone. But off the island, not many people did that. I know about a hundred people came down here to Beckweg. I think that was the last number I got this morning. But most of the people still out on the mainland. I can't tell you the numbers for the cruise ship. I, I don't I don't have the official numbers yet. But they were now working through the logistics of people who want to leave and, and so on. Right? So, but I would it doesn't appear to me as if the majority of people are gonna go in anywhere, anywhere It does not appear that way to me.
0: Let there be a next big eruption. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, I, I think
1: it, it, it's becoming worrying now, though, because, because of the fact that it has not stopped us yet. And it keeps having these very... They call them now violent explosions almost every day. It's starting to worry some people now. Some people are questioning themselves now, you know, as in terms of, should I leave? You know, getting ready to leave, no. Um, and and I, 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 I say that in the context of Monstera, that Monstera had to do a very massive evacuation. But for some reason, I don't know if it is because of the the, the demographics of the island that did not um, extend the damage to, to, to much more reach. In terms of the, I think persons were more looking at the damage will come from the lava flow, right? And as you rightfully said, uh, Mr. Robbie, a lot of us own the, the damage from the actual volcanic ash and so on. I think that that is something that was not taken full into consideration because I can tell you this, that as far as Grenada, Barbados, you see Barbados, what happened to Barbados? <laughs> um, Grenada has a, there were people in Grenada who sent me pictures of actually being, uh, they had allergic reactions and they're all the way in Grenada. Um, We have St. Lucia had some, um, I see an article saying that they're seeing this ash bloom heading towards Spain, you know? So this thing has been massive. And I don't think that we really understood or understand the danger of the the volcanic ash and the toxic fumes in the air during and after a volcano.
0: Um, you know, um, the thing is, everybody's got their different reasons for for um, leaving or not leaving. You know, it's the that just spans the spectrum, and all. Um, and so, you, you're always going to find that whether it's a hurricane or or some other natural disaster, and all. But I, I'm really interested in in what people are going to eat. And you know, this ash is covering a lot of stuff, and you know, a, a lot of people that may be watching this today. They think of this, those islands, this place where you go for a cruise ship, you know, or some some foolishness like that. Um, but you grow your crops there. You eat, you know, you 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 raise your food there. Um, what's the situation with the crops, or, or or do we even know right now? Well,
1: yes, they have already started to show the devastation. Actually, I mean, um, the seismologist said that. Um, agriculture is going to be almost wiped out for a period of time and you can actually see those in the videos that that has already started to occur. Um, St. Vincent relies a lot on um, the the what we call ground provisions here and and um, tropical fruit and so on and a lot of those trees particularly like the breadfruit tree and so on a lot of those on the mainland the ash just destroyed them um i mean in terms of not just falling on them but the weight of the debris has actually been breaking them down literally destroying them the, the other thing factor is that the ground the food that will be in the ground you cannot go now and harvest that right that, that is the other challenge so the, the doctor mentioned that we will lose for example our banana crop and you would know that in, in a country like st vincent that's one of the main staples Um, so a lot of our main food that we will rely on is really being devastated so what what is happening now, there's a switch now to obviously non-perishable food, the livestock has just been left out there you know, we we now have to get a count to see what has happened to them, you know uh, from the pictures that you're seeing honestly, you can see the stress on those that have survived they just dare like, even look depressed, you know, they're not even mobile to be moving around or anything. They're just deer. And it's very painful to watch, you know, the, from every type of animal, from the cow to the dog to the... It's very painful, to be honest, to watch. But, you know, um, at that time, you really couldn't take them anywhere to a Pacific shelter or anything at that point. It was basically a matter of if they can make it on their own as an act of mother nature. You know, um, there is some that, that we see obviously still alive, but we 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 are not sure yet as to what is the degree, what is happening to them. And my other concern is that just like us, these animals go through severe respiratory problems too, having been ex- fully exposed to this toxic stuff and uh, the, the ash, and because they they had to be out there breathing that in not building for them to go in and hide from it or anything. So it'd it be it would be I can imagine the devastation that they are feeling too, you know, and they're showing it. They're actually showing it. You know, you see the pictures, you can see the stress on them and so on. So it has been it's something that I don't think that we were prepared for at all. I mean, yeah, you hear about volcanoes, you, you even saw Monster Rat. But I think the average person that you would not imagine that something like that will come to me, you know. Dr.
2: Ash.
1: So from um, yeah yes please
2: yeah so from what you said you mentioned that you know um you all were facing not just the immediate effect of the eruption but prior to that you all were facing uh a dengue you know um people being infected with dengue as well as the covid-19 so we see the convergence of you know multiple crises, and you know these things are not going to go away, they're not going to disappear and but I've, we're seeing a lot of aid pouring in from your neighbor neighboring countries and But where do we start to rebuild? How do we rebuild? Any thoughts on that?
1: Well. Rehabilitating one of the first things you just have to do is, I mean, they're, they're, in disaster management, there are several states. So when the incident occur, you're looking at saving life first. So we've been doing, that has been happening. We know that for sure. Then you look at, um, for example, providing aid to those affected. That is, that is going on. and now you're looking at obviously an assessment of the damage that will then determine We go forward. So what I'm seeing happening now is that for us, even as an organization, and for me as the, you know, one of the first things I wanted to make sure would happen in going forward was that we get that aid to the people. So one of the other things that I probably should have mentioned before also was that not only did we have the natural crisis that was happening, was experiencing an economic downfall, right? so a lot of the persons here would not have the available resources that other countries might have so right now a lot of people depend on remittances that is coming to us now um so you you, you understand why I'm, why I'm talking about rebuilding so what we're seeing so far is that a lot of homes and road infrastructure has been severely damaged um a number, you're talking about 17,000 plus people This cannot go back to their homes even as we speak. And I was even thinking that even when the time comes that they perhaps could even go and visit the home, things like, for example, the the beds, the the pillows, the mattresses, we can't use those. We just have to recycle them and start all over again because they would have been exposed to so much toxins, you can't go and sleep on that kind of stuff. So the rebuilding is going to have to start with the basic needs first, and then we're gonna have to look at it in terms of, um, perhaps, I'm seeing possible relocation in some cases. Um, I I would want to think though that if I was, if I had the opportunity to create policies in terms of rebuilding, one of the things I would want to do now is instead of just naming an area a red zone, having seen the devastation, I would want to declare some areas in, inhabitable, right? I think it is a bit too dangerous to be too close to that volcano, right? Um, so then we would have to look at um, how do we reload, how do we relocate people where is the safer places and so on. Um, basic housing, you're gonna have to do some quick basic housing. And if I if I take an example, I, I noticed that in, in the United States of America, in the in the worst stages of the pandemic, what they did, and China did it as well. They were setting up these emergency hospitals and so on in, in different locations. So you're going to have, you're going to have to set up infrastructure like that because a number of the, the, the people that had to be evacuated would be facing now a, a lot of respiratory challenges, not just now, but going forward. You have to be having frequent medical assessments And we don't have the facilities here to do that in terms of physical building. So there's going to be a need now for um, remote hospital care and so on. Um, The the other issue when we are food security, there's kind of an advantage and a disadvantage in in that. After a couple months or so, the very ash and so on that would have fall it goes to the soil and as good fertilizer, So the, ser- the soil will become extremely fertile over probably a year or so. But in the, in the immediate time, we, we, we can't always survive on the non-perishable stuff. You know, we can't intake too much of that. So perhaps possibly it's looking like we're going to have to import the very ground provisions and so on that we would have um, before, you know, had to, we could have produced ourselves. We're going to have to rely on importation and so on you know, in, in the immediate, in the immediate, um, I would say within six months to a year before we see any sign of normalcy. And I, I, I think I might be generous, perhaps, but uh, yes, I think I'm going to be a bit generous, but uh, so the other thing I would, I would probably, I, I would look at if it was me, like a lot of these people who reside in the red zone and green zone, what I would do is move them even if temporarily to a lot of the Grenadine islands so that, you know, proper studies can be done um, and we could come up with a very good plan that can, so when we rebuild, it will, it will be even better than it ever was. And you can't do that. I don't think we could properly do that if the people are still within the very area that has been affected and so on. You you need to really like, like what they did in Monster, the people left there for, I think, I can't remember the period of time, but I think maybe six months to a year or more, they actually were moved off the island so that they could have properly assessed it and determine what was best in terms of moving forward. So it's going to be a very big challenge. Um, we, we, our water system, our entire water system, not only in the Grenadines, but the mainland, has been compromised, the entire water system. We we rely on river catchment, that is no more at this time. We can't use that right now. So we are using, we are resorting now to bottled, purified water and so on. Even for the common baths and stuff, you can't safely use the the water that would have been left back and so on. A lot of that water is gonna actually be used for cleaning down, washing down homes and so on, not using for your domestic use. So we're gonna look, we probably even have to import domestic water also not just for drinking but for your baths and so on for cooking with and so on so you're looking at a massive exercise going forward very massive then the education system yeah our education system a lot of schools you know cannot function at this time so that is another issue you know that the schools would um education would be more more effective because they were on break from the covid and um, so that is another issue that, that we're gonna look at. They're doing virtual um, studies, but at the same time, a lot of the parents of these children are affected. They are involved in the shelter management. The, the infrastructure is overloaded, the network. So there's it, a lot of complications that, that has been created by this one phenomenon.
0: Yeah, let me, let me ask you another question, please and all, this is fascinatingly (laughs) depressing, if you will. Um, What what kind of infrastructure is still intact there? Um, Is there electricity? Um, Is there internet? Do people have access to phones on St. Vincent or is just everything shut down? we have,
1: they're still they're still using telephone they still have electricity the, the running water is no is a no no um, it's just the, the stairs um, a lot of the houses up but they're just buried i mean like covered in ash you know the, the, so or even though like, the buildings might stand they're just there like there but they're, 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 the, the ash I saw on some roofs were like six inches or more in thickness right Yeah, it's very, especially the closer you go to it is extremely, extremely thick. As you will see, even on the roads, you know, as the vehicle's rolling, you saw that dust that was picking up that you couldn't even see the vehicle in front of you, which is very dangerous, you know. Um, So, um, the, uh, well, what else is affected up there? um, Belly. Yeah, I think I said mostly is the, the you still have electricity, we still have the, the internet and so on. But you know, the water is the greatest. I think that that had the greatest impact so far from what I've from the information I've received. You know, and then the 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 fact that the, the, even though the buildings there we can't use them for well any of, You know, and and a lot of there's a lot of infrastructure damage in terms of some of the. I think that there's a community that is cut off. The the from what I've seen, the lava flow cut the own road again, cut the community in half, um, damaged some major feeder roads. So that's another issue, compound issue that we have to deal with. Um, the facilities, even for the shelters, are not even quite adequate for, for the numbers that we have. So, you know, that 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 compounds even the challenge that we are faced with, even outside of the actual eruption of the volcano itself. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, it's like pushing over that first domino.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough one. Believe me, it is rough. It, it is so tough. I mean, for me personally and my team here, we are very troubled because we are miles away from this red zone and orange zone and even the green zone. And the, the effects that we are feeling is so tough on us, not just physically, but mentally. You know, like, you just imagine that you came out and you washed down your entire house at 9 a.m. And by 11 a.m., you got to go over that again. And then by 1 again, by 3 again, you know. And then when you get in the morning, it's like, you got to start all over again.
0: Because well, well, what they have other us I, to do. I, I can't. You know, I've got a tremendous suite of experiences at my back. But I can't even imagine that. I, I can empathize with you because there's an issue. But when you talk about details like that, I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah.
1: That is the thing that got me. I mean, like, as I said, yeah, I heard about volcanoes, you know? I've like, I, I heard it, but there's nothing like experiencing it, even from the distance that we are. There's absolutely nothing like experiencing it. You know, I, I, I don't think they would have, I know it's not. I don't ever want to have to experience nothing like this again.
0: Yeah, volcanoes are kind of like, are, are like dinosaurs. We all heard about them. We just never thought we'd see one.
1: So true. So, so true. You know, um, for me, it's like, um, I have, as I said, I have been a community disaster manager for over 20 years in many different islands I have assisted. And not once has I ever been scared until now. This is the first time I have ever in my entire life been frightened by a catastrophe. Literally shaped and cried and lost for words, like, you know, can't move. Just paralyzed mentally. You don't know where to go, what to do. You know, you, you just get frozen. You know, so it, 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 it's, it's really, I, I mean, the media, you know, some people say that the media is show graphic stuff, but I don't think that the true story has even been told as yet, right, in terms of what this little island has been experiencing.
2: You mentioned the physical, you know, the physical damage that was done, but we haven't even gotten into, you know, the the trauma of the the population in St. Vincent, and, you know, how do we as I, as I asked, you know, earlier, how do we re- rebuild? And it's not just rebuilding the physical infrastructure or your economy or, you know, the agricultural sector, but I guess healing from this traumatic experience. So I, we can only empathize, as, as Robbie said, but I, I don't think our imagination will do it justice, you know? So, so I...
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. The first thing that I, I would say this honestly, um, I just feel a little. Just bear with me, but yeah, uh, it, it is rough. Believe me. Um, I'm a therapeutic counselor. Let me let me say that. And you know, I I don't know yet. I haven't figured out yet how we are going to even start to help our people mentally emotionally spiritually what i know for sure is that what needs to happen now is a lot of reassurance care care not just that like, we empathize with the whole world i know people sorry for us to say but what i saw that is needed in this is not just to say oh i'm sorry about what is happening there but to do something now People might figure, okay, but I am at a distance. No, no matter how far you are, you can do something. For example, um, what I think works, because we know that we are faced with so much and we know that, for example, uh, my friend in Trinidad and Grenada, Barbados and Spain and the Island Innovative Ambassadors and all of these people around the world are coming together to say, listen, here we are with you. This is what we're going to do for you, and it is actually happening. Right? So that so when, when you're dealing with the affected people and they are aware that you are not in this alone. We have you know we have not abandoned you like how you had to abandon your particular area. The world is behind you. We are here giving you not just saying nice words, but we are doing something to help you, right? That is the first thing that I think would help these people because in their situation, they they need that type of reassurance. Then you you, you have to continue this process. Now is a good time. Um, I mean, just like I learned just now um, with Mr. Robbie, these little bits of education and public awareness, keep, tell us what to do from your experience, because we have never had this before. Most of the people that are alive now in St. Vincent heard about Evoky and never experienced it. Just a few would have experienced it. And and what they said to us was that when it came, they themselves were young at the time. They were children. Even from me, you know, that, that made me gather some more strength to know that, hey, now we can do something extra to help some other people. You know, because these people have acted right away. And, 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 and I mean, like, using technology, you have a, a, a cash app, for example, because it's difficult to maneuver through, you know, the kind of logistical. You had the airport, the airspace being shut down. The sea space was; they didn't have visibility. So you can think of just sailing and stuff. But you had people saying, all right, here is some cash. Go to the local supermarket that has a stock. Get some of this stuff. And then immediately, at least let them have a meal today. And then, you know, we will continue that process until more help comes. That is a And when they see these meals coming to the shelter and people are coming to them, housing them, putting them up, making them more comfortable, that has helped a lot so far. Um, only today, you made a very good point there, um, Ms. Delvelle. I had a request. I had Two things happened. I had a group, the Caribbean Voice, that has offered psychosocial counseling right and then today we had a request from a shelter that there would be a need for it because the people in the shelters are basically breaking down and we we know that this would happen so we have to do it by all means virtually who can go in physically it it just has to happen you know so the caribbean voice has we have some psychiatrists and so on they are going to, what we're we going to do, the teachers, the school, the teachers and so on have tablets, devices. So they are going to now connect through a Zoom network like this so that the, the people in the actual shelter now can receive that counseling even over a Zoom call like this and so on. And I'm happy that we have reached a place like this in the world that we can even use the very right technology to be effective even at any. From any location that you are. The fact that I'm here with you this evening, you know, the fact that you reach out to talk to us and to hear our story and to see what is going on, how we this is so much. Because when you're when you're in this, you feel like you are in a cave, just closed in, like the disaster just have you wrapped into a cave. So when somebody peeks through that dust and, and you know, find a little light to ensure it is mentally reassuring, it is emotionally reassuring. And, and you know whether well, the, the, you're gonna have the, the, for the religious person, you're gonna have the prayer, we're gonna have the people who are singing. They're encouraging you to do a lot of things that would help ease that trauma, right? Um, they're going to be, there's going to be a need for some structure though, programming in terms of help because I would anticipate that, you know, There's going to be uh, a lot of mental health issues coming out of this, particularly depression, um, anxiety. We might might see more people becoming, uh, for example, experiencing being bipolar um, because of persons who would have heard the explosions and witnessed them and were so close to it. They will become very traumatized over a period of time. And, you know, so we're gonna be dealing with a multiplicity of mental issues going forward. The other issue that we are very concerned about, um, as you would know, that happens in any disaster on any part of the world is gender-based violence. Um, How do we protect our children? Our, I I don't wanna just say women, but boys and men too. Because, you know, um, if you understand what happens during the trauma that is caused from these events, sometimes get you in a mood that the hormones start to work in some very crazy ways that you would not perhaps do if you were not, you know, in a normal circumstance. And desperation of being locked into a building rather than the comfort of your home. So a lot of things, you see the possibilities of a lot of things that could come out of this. So we have to do a lot of capacity building to help people to learn how to cope within a sheltered environment the do's and don'ts. um we have to have our security intact at all times you know um a lot of property obviously you got looting and how do people then we got to prepare the people when you them to perhaps go back to their property you know that is going to be a whole new episode of trauma again we have to prepare the people for that as well. So this is a long run, I would say, this is a marathon effort that's going to take I don't think that this country would ever be the same again,
0: ever. Well, Dr. Ash, I I, I appreciate it. I, I can tell that you, you know, you, your heart's got to be in this because you can't be anything anywhere else at all. But you, you're thinking about this a lot. And these are a lot of good things that, that do need to be considered. And uh, I, I just want you to know, I appreciate you. Does uh, Fran or uh, Deval, do you have any more questions for uh, Dr. Ash today? Well, Dr. I, I Ash. wanted to
1: just look at okay, go one more Yeah, one go more now, thing. Ahead, now, interestingly, we, yeah, interestingly, we are our island creative ambassadors and we the, we are looking specifically you now at sustainable development. And you know, um, I cannot. Let me be very no, no. There's this, this. How to put it? There's this notion that if you are going to now be looking at these issues, governance, leadership from the national level and so on, that you are portrayed now as being negative, right? And and that alone. So you have to be battling. Like, like the questions that my, my colleague asked, they're valid me, like, people like figure that, no, you don't need to be thinking about these things now. You know, I don't agree with that personally. Because when you went, I, you know, I've been, as I said, being part of many disasters and we do what is known as a evaluation, well, that's a nice word, but they call it a post-mortem, you know, of the events, you have the daily briefings and so on. And when you go into those briefings, those briefings are not designed to get people to like you, right? Those those briefings are designed to look at the actual, there's a lot of frustration brewing up now because people are obviously now starting to look at what we could have done better, Um, what are they doing now in terms of the the, the structures in place to to help the people to elevate the suffering. And how are we going to correct these things going forward, even from a, a leadership, governmental level, leadership, not only from the government, but the community level, as in us, we, the civil society, we, the people on the ground, and, and what we are, I, I must say this, I can't leave the program unless I say this this evening, that for me, it breaks my heart to see that even in the midst of such a devastating occurrence, natural disaster, you have to be in a fight, you know, as a civil society practitioner. To want to give assistance from the ground, they are they are putting a lot of drug money in place to kind of want block us in people, and we know that no government can do 100%. We all know that. What should be happening is collaboration and partnerships, but what is happening is the opposite. Is like we alone should be doing these things, not you. And it is creating a lot of frustration, because in the midst of all of that, because the, 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 the national mechanism can never meet the needs of everyone. It is creating a lot more suffering. So the, the people are, it's not like before where people are going to shelter and just keep quiet. And No, the people are venting the frustration. Right. And we want to help them, you know. And, and, and your system is like, oh, no, 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 no. We are going to block you from doing that. Then we are, a lot of us, I must say, a lot of my colleagues and I, we are very upset. I will use the word upset. Because we were screaming before this event. We were pleading, pleading, pleading. Put these things in place. Put these things in place. And it went on deaf ears. Right? And then this thing popped upon them like, bam. And they want us to say to the world, yeah, they're doing a very good job. All is well. I'm sorry, but I can't do that. I'm very,
0: you you know, the thing is, a lot of these people running things and all that. Oh, it's doing fine now. We don't worry about it. We'll fix it when it breaks. But it costs more. It's more expensive to wait till something breaks. Better better put some oil on the hinge so the door quits squeaking. Better change the oil in your vehicle, do maintenance, prepare for the future. Fixing something today is cheaper than replacing everything tomorrow. And a lot of these people don't want to think that way. now let's keep my money in my (laughs) pocket. It'll be, we'll we'll let it be somebody else's problem later. That's why. Yeah.
1: So so if we are supposed to be looking at sustainable development, we really have a challenge on our hands. And I don't know if it's just uniquely that this was designed, that even us the island ambassadors would have to experience it in our state this year to teach us some lessons. And I hope and I'm hoping that among our you know our body that we would go a bit further than just looking at the issue, but lobbying to put things in place, as you said, sir, to preventative management, you know, in, in, in our look at sustainability. To, to, to eliminate some of the, the challenges that could happen down the road. We, we can't stop a natural disaster. We know that. But we can at least eliminate some of that suffering that a human being would have to face.
0: Right? Be, be and, prepared and I, for next time. I,
1: yeah, and as an ambassador, that is one of the markers that I personally want to leave during my stay. And it uniquely happened at this time, you know, that I have to be one right in the midst of this, me and Tessa Davies and the others, having to be dealing with this on the ground and so on. You know, and I have no regret, believe in me, I will do this again and again. I have been offered, as you said, Robbie, come to this island, come to that island. No, I can't leave my people. Sorry, I can't do it. No, nope, not at this time, unless it was a case where it was really, you know, no choice. But I, I have to stay with them right now. And, and, yeah, and coincidentally, you know, I, I have to sat sacrifice a lot of things I could not even once attend a session in the island finance forum I, I just could not yesterday evening we were just busy busy trying to get things in place that when I remembered, you know it was too late so
0: yeah well one day meet the reach I want to know that place surely surely
1: come to the Grenadines look, you know we will welcome you here and we will take you over there
0: <laughs> well thank you yeah well, look, look here yeah. um I want to want to thank you for being with us today and all that. It's been a really great, and uh, particularly like some of the things you discussed and some, some things you're letting the people know. We appreciate the opportunity to, to share your story and all. And you mentioned some people in St. Lucia and uh, Grenada and some other places, and he, he, even on St. Vincent. I, I hope you'll continue to send us videos and pictures so we can use those. And if any of your friends in any of these other places that are being affected by this, Please put them in contact with us. Con- you know, contact Franciska, and all three of us will be back again. and And we want to interview sure. everybody. We- and We're hoping that, you know, seems like COVID's the only thing in the news hardly anymore. And all even even a year later, um, so we- we're not seeing a lot of this. And when you do, you don't see, you will hear these personal stories. and And we right. want to be able to share these stories, and all. and 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 maybe that'll reach somebody that can make a big difference out there. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for this opportunity for this and uh, look forward to talking to your friends and, and getting more of your images. Thank you so much for your time this evening.
1: Thank you, too. I think, I think that I, I am the one who should be saying thanks to all of you for taking the time up to your schedules to, you know, to even, as you would say, even bother with us. You know, And that is very, very heartwarming for me. I, I will say this to you uh, and to, the, to, to all of us that it is my intention, when I can, you know, soon, I want to personally go on the mainland and document firsthand what has happened. And, and I was, for sure, when that is done, I will get that to you, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I need to tell that story. I need to show you the actual story, you know, to see some of what is happening and, and, and get a real true picture of what's happening on the ground.
0: And you have a good day. thank you again and um, and thanks. And- thank you all.
1: Thank you.